Chapter Three of Saint George and Saint Michael, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jordan. Saint George and Saint Michael, Volume One, by George MacDonald. Chapter Three, The Witch. It was a bright autumn morning. A dry wind had been blowing all night through the shocks and already some of the farmers had begun to carry to their barns the sheaves which had stood, hopelessly dripping, the day before. Ere Richard reached the yard, he saw, over the top of the wall, the first load of wheat sheaves from the harvest field, standing at the door of the barn, and, high up lifted thereon, the figure of Faithful Stopchase, one of the men, a well-known frequenter of Puritan assemblies all the country round, who was holding forth, and that with much freedom, in tones that sounded very like vituperation, if not malediction, against someone invisible. He soon found that the object of his wrath was a certain Welshwoman named Rees, by her neighbours considered objectionable on the ground of witchcraft, against whom this much could with truth be urged, that she was so far from thinking it disreputable that she took no pains to repudiate the imputation of it. Her dress, had it been judged by eyes of our day, would have been against her, but it was only old-fashioned, not even antiquated, common in Queen Elizabeth's time. It lingered still in remote country places, a gown of dark stuff, made with a long waist and short skirt over a huge farthingale, a ruff which stuck up and out, high and far from her throat, and a conical Welsh hat invading the heavens. Stopchase, having descried her in the yard, had taken the opportunity of breaking out upon her, in language as far removed from that of conventional politeness as his puritanical principles would permit. Doubtless he considered it a rebuking of Satan, but forgot that, although one of the godly, he could hardly, on that ground, lay claim to larger privilege in the use of bad language than the archangel Michael. For the old woman, although too prudent to reply, she scorned to flee, and stood regarding him fixedly. Richard sought to interfere and check the torrent of abuse, but it had already gathered so much head that the man seemed even unaware of his attempt. Presently, however, he began to quail in the midst of his storming. The green eyes of the old woman, fixed upon him, seemed to be slowly fascinating him. At length, in the very midst of a volley of scriptural epithets, he fell suddenly silent, turned from her, and, with the fork on which he had been leaning, began to pitch the sheaves into the barn. The moment he turned his back, Goody Reese turned hers, and walked slowly away. She had scarcely reached the yard gate, however, before the cowboy, a delighted spectator and auditor of the affair, had loosed the fierce watchdog, which flew after her. Fortunately, Richard saw what took place, but the animal, which was generally chained up, did not heed his recall, and the poor woman had already felt his teeth when Richard got him by the throat. She looked pale and frightened, but kept her composure wonderfully, and when Richard, 
who was prejudiced in her favour from having once heard Dorothy speak friendlily to her, expressed his great annoyance that she should have been so insulted on his father's premises, received his apologies with dignity and good faith. He dragged the dog back, rechained him, and was in the act of administering sound and righteous chastisement to the cowboy, when Stopchase staggered, tumbled off the cart, and falling upon his head, lay motionless. Richard hurried to him, and, finding his neck twisted and his head bent to one side, concluded he was killed. The woman, who had accompanied him from the field, stood for a moment, uttering loud cries, then, suddenly bethinking herself, sped after the witch. Richard was soon satisfied he could do nothing for him. Presently the woman came running back, followed at a more leisurely pace by Goody Reese, whose countenance was grave, and even to the twitch about her mouth, inscrutable. She walked up to where the man lay, looked at him for a moment or two as if considering his case, then sat down on the ground beside him, and requested Richard to move him, so that his head should lie on her lap. This done, she laid hold of it, with a hand on each ear, and pulled at his neck, at the same time turning his head in the right direction. There came a snap, and the neck was straight. She then began to stroke it with gentle yet firm hand. In a few moments he began to breathe. As soon as she saw his chest move, she called for a wisp of hay, and, having shaped it a little, drew herself from under his head, substituting the hay. Then, rising without a word, she walked from the yard. Stopchase lay for a while, gradually coming to himself, then scrambled all at once to his feet, and staggered to his pitchfork, which lay where it had fallen. "'It is the mercy of the Lord that I fell not upon the prongs of the pitchfork,' he said, as he slowly stooped and lifted it. He had no notion that he had lain more than a few seconds, and, of the return of Goody Reese and her ministrations, he knew nothing. While such an awe of herself and her influences had she left behind her, that neither the woman nor the cowboy ventured to allude to her, and even Richard, influenced partly, no doubt, by late reading, was more inclined to think than speak about her. For the man himself, little knowing how close death had come to him, but inwardly reproached because of his passionate outbreak, he firmly believed that he had had a narrow escape from the net of the great fowler, whose decoy the old woman was, commissioned not only to cause his bodily death, but to work in him first such a frame of mind as should render his soul the lawful prey of the enemy. End of chapter 3